I'm definitely glad to be here uh, today to celebrate my wife's, um, I better not say what birthday, but nonetheless, uh, she's been with us a long time, amen? So uh, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to be here because God is here, and we've got some awesome things to talk about, amen? And uh, thank you, Sister Pat, and uh, all the work that you do at the Karenet Center. Let's give her a hand, would you? <laughs> Amen. Um, tremendous, tremendous work going on there, and we're happy to support them. And uh, I know you are, and God has done some wonderful, wonderful things. Um, <clears throat> let me welcome you first to the Harbor Worship Center. If you don't know me, I'm Mike Sane, the lead pastor here. And uh, we're right in the middle of what we're calling uh, the refocus series. Now, um, if you're out of focus, you're out of whack. Amen? Here, um, some months back, I got into some poison sumac, and I went to the doctor, uh, you know, because it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and they hooked me up with some steroids, and uh, that got me real pumped up. Uh, it, it shot my sugar through the roof, and, you know, I was really, really sweet. I mean, it was something serious. And so when I went to the doctor, <coughs> they gave me, um, I can't remember what they call it. But anyway, they said, this is going to uh, help you with this itching. So take one or two of these. It's going to make you sleepy. And one of the side effects is that, that you might have blurred vision. Well, let me say this. Blurred vision was an understatement. Amen? I mean, now my vision has lost a little step or two uh, in the last year since, uh, you know, I turned 47 a few years ago, and that's when it started easing over the hill. But, uh, man, it went real quick after I took a couple of them little pills. And did you know it seemed to take weeks for me to get that stuff out of my system? And uh, But nonetheless, I finally did. And I especially... You know, man, you don't want to be seeing blurry when you're driving. Even worse, you don't want to be seeing blurry when you're skydiving. Amen? I mean, uh, so I needed to somehow refocus. And I tried hard. I would look at things, and I would squint my eyes, and I would put on my glasses, and then I would put on Kelly's glasses, and then I would stack them. I've done all kind of things. and uh, But nonetheless, I finally got that out of my system, and I was able to focus and I can remember telling Kelly, I, I just felt so good that I was able to see clearly uh, and, and, you know, make some good informed decisions because I was able to see. So welcome to Refocus. We talked about refocusing on discipline two weeks ago. And that wasn't discipline just for our children, although it needs to be in place. It had to do with discipline for us. Then last week we talked about refocusing on peace. How God wanted us and he called us to be a peacemaker, not a doormat but a peacemaker, and that was a wonderful message last week, and God just really, really blessed us with that, and I'm excited about it, and then I promised you two weeks ago, if the Lord was willing, I would come back today and talk about how we as a church need to refocus on holy living. Now, I started to get a bunch of um, grandmothers and great-grandmothers with real big buns on their head and beehives and long dresses, and I thought better of that because my mother would probably get a hold of me bad if I were to do something like that. 
But nonetheless, we have equated. I remember growing up, I grew up in hardline assembly of God. It was Pentecostal, and, and we're Pentecostal and all that stuff. But, man, I grew up in that. It was just bad. That's all there was to it. Man, your hair couldn't touch your ears, and now it takes a month for mine to touch my ears. But, but and it's probably because when I was a kid, it never was able to touch my ears. And I hated that. I just wanted my hair, back when I had some, to grow about halfway of my ear so it look cool. Are y'all with me? And then, you know, my sisters had to wear dresses, summer, winter, spring, fall, didn't matter. And I remember some of the craziest rules that we had, you know. Uh, girls had to wear culottes all the time. You couldn't wear no pants. God would send you to hell if you wore pants. And uh, I seen, you know, my dad said, son, I've been out, you know, uh, he, we used to throw papers. And uh, he said, I see women working in the yard in dresses. They would be more modest and more decent if they had on a pair of pants. Uh, so we started thinking about holiness in this line of, well, if I dress a certain way, I must be holy. If I look a certain way, I must be holy. And, and in fact, my pastor, Ray Dawson, who's pastor in Virginia now, he preached a message years ago. I remember he said, holiness is not homeliness. We seem to think that years ago, the more homely you could look, the more poor you could look, the more pitiful you could look, that was the icon of holiness. And I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Let me read our overarching scripture, if I may, to get us into this, and then I want to dive right off into what it means to be holy, what it is to live a holy life and to dwell in holiness. So first of all, Hebrews 12, 13, uh, or excuse me, 12, 1 through 3, the Bible says, therefore, since we're surrounded, we are surrounded um, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with patience or perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what the refocus is all about. Whether we're talking about peace, whether we're talking about discipline, whether we're talking about holiness, the way to be a peacemaker is to fix your eyes on Jesus. The way to stay disciplined is to fix your eyes on Jesus. The way to live holy is to fix your eyes upon Jesus. If we would always say, and really mean it, more than just cliche, more than just words, what would Jesus do? If we look at Jesus and say, well, well, well what is he going to do in this situation? So, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that is set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Now he has sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, here's what I want you to know. That, that if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, you are, go look at your neighbor and say, you are <laughs> going to grow weary and lose heart. So, so here's, for today's message, I want you to get this. You need to understand that God has called us to live holy lives. Look at your neighbor and say, God has called you to be holy. Now look back at that one and say, he's called you to be holy as well. <laughs> Here's what he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says, holiness without which no man shall see God. Now, I want to tell you something, in and of yourself and of myself, we are not holy. 
There is none good, no, not one. Says Romans 10 and 3 or 3 and 10. I, got, I, I may have it backwards, but there it is. 3 and 10 or 10 and 3 of Romans. There is none of us good, no, not one. For many evangelicals, that's us, I want you to understand that holiness just conjures up an old image or an old icon uh, uh, of revival. Now listen, I grew up, my dad has been a Pentecostal preacher all my life. I, like I said, I cut my teeth on the red back hymnal, being drugged here and there and everywhere uh, as he preached the gospel through the week, worked in a cotton mill during the day, went to gospel sings every weekend of my life, it seemed like. I got tired of singing all the songs. I used to could name all of the quartets that sang through the southern states, amen. I, I knew all the trios, and I mean, if they come to town, we were loading up, going. We'd be there early. We ate hot dogs after we sang 10 songs, and then we'd come back and sang 10 more. Hello? More than once or twice I've been laying down when it was all over and have to get carried out to the car or woke up. So I, I get all that. I've been to the, to the tent meeting outside with the sawdust floor and all of those things. So that brings back, and I'm not knocking the power. I've seen God move in some places like that. I'm going to tell you something. I have seen, listen, while we missed it in some areas and thought because women wore long dresses to the floor and men's hair was cut up above their ears and all of that and they didn't have on no jewelry, we, we thought they were holy. And while we missed it in that, they did have the power of God in their lives. But you'll never convince me it's because they had a dress on to the floor because some of them had tongues down to the floor too. They gossip from here to China. Hello? And then they use what Peter said in First Peter. I believe it's First Peter. He said, don't let it be the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel or, or, the, or excuse me, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Three things. The braiding of the hair. Come on, Jill. The braiding of the hair. I know you ain't going to braid mine, but the, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. And so people said, well, the Bible said, let it not be the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on apparel. So then it must be wrong to braid the hair, to put on gold, or wear, you know. I said, hold on, do you understand what you just said? If it's wrong to braid the hair, and it's wrong to wear gold, it's wrong to wear clothes. Careful. Don't nobody start unloading. Amen. So, so what I'm saying is for me, many of us evangelicals, we, we hearken back to the days of the strict prohibition. I'll never forget what we called it in the church of God was mixed bathing. Y'all know what mixed bathing is? That's, uh, you know, it's really tantamount to us baptizing a man and a woman in the same pool. Or, or uh, if I baptize, man, we mixed bathe. Now, mixed bathe, and I never understood that growing up because I thought to myself, you know, they're talking about swimming pools. I grew up in the era when swimming pools was all over. You know, Columbus had several public pools. And if I could scrape up $2 or $1.50, whatever it was, I remember I was going to go to the swimming pool. But I couldn't let the church know because I was down there mixed bathing. I mean, we didn't even have no soap in the water. But they called it mixed bathing. Huh? If you went to a movie, now let, let me say this, there's a lot of movies that we shouldn't go to, so uh, granted. But if you went to any, if you went to a baseball game, if, in other words, you couldn't do nothing but look like a monk and read the Bible all the day long and have communion for, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner or something. And, and somehow they t that was tantamount to holiness, and I tell you, they missed it all together. 
Now, I understand that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So what I'm saying to this is holiness is not just a gospel trio. It is not just an old-time revival, although those things are wonderful and they have their place. Listen, uh, it is not just associated with morality and our behavior, you know, because so many things, people think of holiness, they say, well, it is a list of do's and don'ts, mainly don'ts. I remember the church, they'd say, well, what do you believe in? Well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you don't do this, and you don't do that. And, you know, it was a big old list of do's and don'ts. That, that has to do with morality, what is right and what is wrong. And you say, well, if I can do all of the things I'm supposed to do and all, avoid all the things I'm not supposed to do, then I'm holy. No, you'll never be holy your best day in this world without Jesus Christ. Being your holiness now, now, I'm going to get there in a moment, So, but you've you got to understand that God has called you and I in this modern world of 2017, in this tech-savvy world, God has called us to live a holy life before people. He said we are a chosen generation. We're a peculiar people, and I know some of y'all are peculiar. Are you with me? Say Amen. So, but, but some people have taken that to mean that we're supposed to be this special little sect of people that, that have an elite membership that nobody else can get into. Listen, if nobody else can get in, why did Jesus Christ come to save the world? If he just indeed come to get your four or your eight or the people you golf with or eat with or whatever. Listen, some have reduced holiness down to simple morality. But I tell you, choosing to do so, uh, do something or not do something, uh, that is not going to get it. True holiness is much deeper than a list of moral imperatives that says I must do this or I must not do that. And if I do this, I'm holy. And if I don't do this, then I'm holy. No, no, that is not a formula for holiness. Stay with me and I'm going to give you, uh, I'll get you to that place where we are uh, holy or where, where we're supposed to be. Why is it important to know it like that, Pastor? Why, why is it important that you tell me all this? I'm glad you asked because we've misunderstood God's call for holiness. You remember when Moses was um, on the backside of Mount Horeb and he saw a bush and it was burning? You remember that? And he went over and he's, he's getting a little bit closer to it. And, and God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, put off thy shoes from your feet. For even the ground whereon you stand is holy. <laughs> you know why the ground whereon he stood was holy? Because God was there. Amen? <laughs> you know what makes this place, this is just a building. You know what makes this the house of God or the house of worship? Because he come down and he's here in the midst of us. Amen? <laughs> Let me go on. We, we've misunderstood God's call for us to be holy. Most of us don't live holy lives because we're misguided as to what it means to do so. We've mistakenly thought that if we do certain things and abstain from certain things, then, then, then we're holy. But no, 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 no. Romans 3 and 10, there's none righteous. Listen, we cannot by ourselves be holy. More about that in just a moment. Let me give you some examples here that, that, that show some things. Did you know here... Watch this, you don't get nothing out. Recent polls show us this, that many self-described evangelicals march in moral lockstep with mainstream American culture in the practice. Listen, 
I want you to catch this. Many self-described evangelicals, that's us. Many self-described evangelicals march in lockstep with mainstream American culture when it comes to the practice of, watch this, divorce, spousal abuse, extramarital affairs, pornography consumption, materialism, racism. That's just to name a few. What, what I'm saying is, is the church is marching in lockstep with the world, and yet we claim ourselves to be holy. I want to tell you something. The, the world cannot march to the beat, or rather the church cannot march to the beat of the world's drum and yet say we are different. Now, i gotta, I got to be careful with this because we are to reach the world. We're to reach out to them. But we do not embrace the things that they embrace. Let me go further. While we tip our hat to the importance of holiness, many in our culture don't view uh, uh, us as anything. We're not even morally different at all. In fact, they look at us as almost hypocritical. Let, let me give you an example. Because I've come across person after person after person who's deeply committed to the church that have no problem in this world lying if it'll get their butt out of a sling. Oh, I'll just pray about it. God will take care of that. What are you smoking? Hello? That's right. They have no problem partying down, drunk as all get out. Oh, I'm sorry, and ready to preach on Sunday. God forbid. Whatever happened to he said, come out from among the world and be a separate people. I'm not saying we're better than the world. I'm not saying that. Right, listen, we are saved by grace. But Paul said, I have to struggle every day because that that I want to do, I don't do. And that that I should not do, I often find myself doing. Who's going to deliver me from this old body of death, this old flesh that I have to deal with? Don't you know that the spirit man wars against this old flesh man? And that is a that is going to continue to exist until Jesus Christ comes again. It is a battle that we are going to face with living holy in this world until the rapture of the church takes place and he takes us home. Listen. Uh, <coughs> so the church seems to be no different than most of the world. In other words, we don't... And I'm saddened by this. I'm saddened by the amount of people who name the name of Jesus. That you might get mad at me, but I don't care. But they will not work out an argument with their brother or their sister in the Lord. Ain't gonna do it. They say, I'm right and you're wrong. I'll take my marbles and go home. You can. And guess what? That'll stay with you in the next time, and it'll be another place and another person. And you'll just be just as bitter and just as mean-spirited and just as far from God as you are right now. Hello? That's right. You know what? Because God's people believe in doing things God's way. If we have a disagreement, we lay it on the table. And we say, I love you with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I choose to work this thing out. Amen? 
If we have problems among us, God has challenged us to handle things in the right way. He's, he's challenged us. Oh, Lord, let me, let me move on. Listen, we, so here's what I want you to do. God has called us to be holy, and, and you, we're informed about that. But, but it's so important for us to know that God has called us, and the problem is that so many people think they are. But they have equated being holy to saying, well, I went to church Sunday. I brought my tithe. I volunteered for a life group. What else do they want me to do? Well, you're doing real good at the moral part of it. Well, I'm checking all my boxes. But, but there's more to it. Here, here's how you live a holy life. You don't live a holy life by checking all the right boxes and saying, well, I gave today. Uh, you know, I, I didn't park in, you know, the staff parking. I parked out where I, you know, I didn't do this. I, I didn't do that. I, I did all of this, and I did all that, and I gave to Guatemala, and I gave to the babies and all of that. That doesn't determine your holiness. What determines whether or not you will be holy is whether or not you have cultivated a deep and daily relationship with Jesus Christ and that inter that that inside you that inner man that spirit man then guides you and says you know you ain't supposed to be doing that he says you cannot do this because I've delivered you from this you cannot do this because it will hurt the reputation of the church. You cannot do this because it will bring a reproach and crucify me all over again. And then you will feel bad and tears will stream down your face and say, Lord, I cannot crucify you again. Now, let me give you an illustration. I, I, just, just hold on. I believe one of the crucial ingredients to our healing and our moral confusion is the recovery of the biblical idea of holiness, which includes meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and in personal devotion. Let me, how many of you remember when you first fell in love? Hey, buddy, with some hands going up, or I'm going to start telling y'all to look sideways. <laughs> you first fell in love. Man, when you knew she was interested. Ooh, that was back before cell phones for many of us. Huh? And, and, and you wrote letters. And, and, and you done all of these um, things. Man, you stopped by the florist. Hello? You, you've done some things. You know what? You talked about them all the time. Man, you talked to your buddies. You know, your hunting buddies. Well, man, you got to meet this girl. Man, she is so pretty. Oh, my Lord. She loves to, uh, you know, play ball. She loves sports. And, oh, you know, you're just jazzed. And, ladies, you're the same thing. Oh, this guy, he just, man, he just built like a rock. And he loves me and he brings me flowers. Oh, and we have tea together. And I uh, mean, in other words, it, you know what? You know what happens now and with the cell phone? Man, I get around some of you young people, y'all kill me. Sitting for me to Kelly texting each other. <laughs> just want to tell you I love you. I couldn't have said, hey, I love you. But uh, just, I mean, in other words, when you, you, you fell in love with this person, man, you're just so stoked about them. You just said, I, I just got to sneak a tweet in real quick. You know, you ain't supposed to have your phone at work. But, man, and some people have even died trying to sneak a tweet in on the interstate. Hmm? 
let that be a warning to you. But, but what, the moral of it is this, that, that we spent time in the presence of the one we loved. Hello? In other words, we, we expressed our love for them. We talked with them. We thought about them. They consumed our day. And if you want to return to holiness, you'll return to thinking about Jesus Christ. You'll return to thinking about God the Father. You'll return to thinking about going home one day. You'll return to thinking about what pleases God. And not how am I going to turn my next deal? How am I going to score my next score? How am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? No, if we'll live holy and righteous in this world, we will say, how can I build up the Lord Jesus Christ? And how can I serve in the kingdom of God until he finds me occupying when he comes? Well, the way to live a holy life is to build a relationship with the only one that is holy, and that is Jesus Christ, to be sure. Listen. We have to call on him. It's got to be a love affair with Jesus all over again. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Hello, son. Y'all doing it right now. This is a good crowd. Man, if I understand the security team, we under tornado watch or warning or something. I heard something beep a while ago, but listen, it's all good. It's all good. This says your mind is in the right place. Amen. And we're focused on the Lord Jesus today. And listen, the relationship to the Lord is of utmost importance. You, you listen, um, biblical holiness describes a unique relationship that God has established and he desires with his people. And that, out of that grows our morality and our moral compass. In other words, I do this. I, I've got a dilemma this next week after this one of, what am I, I'm supposed to do, and I've talked with Kelly about it, and we said, I, I can't figure it out. She can't figure it out. I said, why don't we just, let's pray about it. Let's ask God to direct and lead, and if it be the will of God, then I will do this or that. So uh, let me go further as I try to tie this up. Paul said something pretty neat. He said, um, well, let me get to that. In just well, He said, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I don't, you know why I'm holy? If I'm holy at all, it is the holiness of God through Christ Jesus living in me. Because outside of that, there's no way I'm holy. Amen? No, I know, there's no way I'm holy, nor you. I hate to burst your bubble, but you see, before we were ever called to be good, we were called to be holy. And we cannot be holy without a relationship with God. There are people because of whatever it is, because of status, because of ignorance, because of whatever, they felt like, well, we could come to the church. And they love the church. And, and we're glad you're here. We love that. And, and there are those who are genuinely ignorant. Have no, And that's not a bad thing because I'm ignorant too. I don't know how to fly a 747. I'm ignorant about that. So ignorance is not a bad term. It just means you don't know. And there are people who are ignorant about a relationship with Jesus Christ. They just felt like, well, if I just come and be a part of the church, you know, I can still live the way I used to live. And, and you know, that's one of the great challenges of, for me right now and for our staff is to make sure that we're putting people on a path of leadership toward development. Are you with me? Say amen. So that we're growing. It's like when you take your child to pre-K, uh, pre you're hoping they get ready for kindergarten. You're hoping they get ready for first, second, third, fourth, middle school, high school, college. Are y'all with me? 
So, uh, and then Paul says um, in Ephesians 2 and 6, passages like these convey the mysterious yet utterly real fact that by the virtue of our union with Jesus Christ, we participate in the life of God. He dwells in us and we dwell in Him. And uh, here's why it's so important for you to, to make that relationship with Him. Without creating that deep relationship with God, you're going to go on living by a list of do's and don'ts. Never really knowing what it means to be holy. Just thinking, well, if I check this box and I stay out of this box, I'm good. Never knowing what it really means to be holy. At the bottom of all of this, uh, l- let me just say this. It's, there's a question that must be answered. And that question is not what, so much as what we do. Or what we do not do. In other words, our actions. But a question of possession. A question that asks whose we are. To whom do we belong? Whose bidding are we doing? That's that's an important question. (laughs) And I'm uh, trying to move through this. At the bottom of it all, God called us to be holy, to be radical, all-encompassing claim on our lives and loves, our very identities. Listen, to be the disciple of Jesus Christ requires nothing less than death to our fallen, egocentric selves in order that we might live for Him. To be holy means that we are all that God, or that, that we are and that all we have and that all we hope for is all wrapped up in him that's what to be holy means that all we are all we have all we dream of is God's and not ours and that every aspect of our lives is shaped and directed by God and I want to close with this illustration And some of you remember last week. Well, how many of you were here last week? Let me see your hand. And I talked to you about our life group focus, and I said something about why we do what we do, and I told you the story of Brady Michaels. Do you remember that? And then I gave you the contrast of if God could lean over the balconies of heaven with a stethoscope and listen to the heartbeat of the church. And I, and I shared with you why we do what we do, and we were moved. I want to ask you again the question is, as, as to why do I do what I do? Why do you do what we You see, because I, I'm very overt about this. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody that will, that feels compelled to serve in either of a couple of capacities, whether you're saying, hey, pastor, I'll open my home for a life. See, this coming spring semester is going to start February the 19th. I'll preach a message on Sunday, and then that week, somewhere, all out all across the county, that same message is going to be taken to a much deeper level in life groups. And you guys are going to lead it. <laughs> You're going to have the notes. 
The questions are already there. You don't have to be a genius. You've got to be smart enough to turn on a TV. Smart enough to open the front door and say, come on in. Smart enough to tell them an hour and a half's gone by. Get out. No, you ain't got to say it that way. But Life Groups is responsible. God is using Life Groups to just make this place blow up. I brought our state newspaper uh, and it just started publishing again this month's first one. I think we're maybe the third church in the South Georgia. And I think a lot of that is attributed to growth by life groups. Give the Lord praise for that. But what motivates us to do that? Why are we, do, why are we going at it like this? And, and, and here's, you need to know this. I, I really need everybody that feels compelled and says, you know what, Pastor? I could ask a few questions. Listen, we're, we're going to have a training session here tomorrow night. It's a real simple. It's going to last about an hour, no more than an hour and a half. Right here where this tank is at, right here. If all of you people that are so interested and say, you know what, I believe I can take Pastor's message just a step further. If they'll give me the tools and if they'll give me the journals and they'll give me whatever I need to do, I can open my home. You might even be able to do both. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. Everybody's got a card on their, the seat that they're in that's a hay card. And if I, after I get ready, I tell you this last story, I want to tell you, then we're going to sign that thing. And you can write on there, yes, Pastor, you can count on me. I'll be here tomorrow night. Here's, I'll revisit that in a moment. But as you stand with me right now, let me share this, this reason why I do what I do. Jesus said something to us in Mark 8 and 35. Jesus said, what is a man profited if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Did y'all hear that? Jesus said, what is a man profited if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I want to ask you a question. Suppose he had said, a man would gain a city in exchange for a soul. Can y'all think with me about some big cities? I looked at um, Atlanta. Atlanta's a, it's our own big city here in Georgia. I mean, it's it's pretty big deal. Houses the second largest airport in the world. And then I live right here next to Florida, and I've traveled from one end of Florida to the other. Miami's a pretty big deal. Tampa and St. Pete and Orlando, that's big deals, man. And if I was to gain a city in exchange for my soul, I think about what it would cost to, to build a city. What would it cost for all the water? What would it cost for all the power? What would it cost for all the houses? What would it cost for all of the, the infrastructure and the workers and all of that to build one of these metro cities? It'd be incredible, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be incredible. But he didn't say, what does a man profited if he, you know, gave his soul in exchange for a, a city? But let's, let's think about a state. 
What if, what if you'd have said a man would gain a state in exchange for a soul? And we think about a big state like, uh, at least populous-wise, like big Florida. I mean, there's a lot of people there. I think about the, the length of California and all the people there, and there's a big, monstrous state. It's huge. Think about Texas. And man, would our job be greater to come up with what it would be to, to, uh, to, 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 to find what it would cost to build and to, to outfit and to have all the infrastructure of a state. But he didn't say, you know, a man would gain a state in exchange. But then what if we took it one more step further and we talked about America, the great and beautiful, this wonderful, beautiful country. What would it, I mean, I, I mean, our chore would be real big now because we would, it would be an astronomical task, but if we got enough people together, we could figure out what it would cost to build America all over again. And, and we could figure every bridge and every tunnel and, and every skyscraper and all of that. And I mean, it would be an enormous undertaking. But he did not say, he did not say, you know, a man would be given a, a, a country in exchange for his soul. Now, I want you to picture with me, if you would, a pair of legal balances the old way, the old scale, that had a bucket on this side and a bucket on this side. And if there's equal weight, they hang like they're perfect. And then based upon the weight, they move. And what he said was this. He said, what is a man profited if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So what I'm saying is this, on this side over here, you could put Milwaukee and Cincinnati and New York and Miami and Tampa, St. Pete and Clearwater and all of the cities. You could put the entire country. You could put several continents. You could put it all right here. And on this other side over here, you could take one wretched, miserable soul that don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ, one insignificant person that's been abused or mangled or raped or left for dead, but they still have a soul. Boy, what a message on sanctity of human life. One soul would drop on this side of the balance and hurl everything else into the stratosphere. Why? because one soul weighs more. What is a man profited if he gained it all, the whole world, and lost his soul? So I'm telling you this. Every single soul is important to God. And brothers and sisters, you will touch souls in life groups that will never look in my eyes from this pulpit. You'll touch people that even though they do eventually show up and sit here, they didn't come because of me. They didn't come because of his great skill on the keyboard. They didn't come because of his great skill on the guitars or the drummers or the sax. They didn't come because of that, but they came because somebody like you opened your home. Somebody like you gave them a glass of orange juice or water. Somebody like you explained the simple truth of the gospel to them in a way that they could understand without judgment. 
what they did? They fell in love with you, but it really, I mean, it is you, but it's the Jesus in you that that makes you holy. They fell in love with something, and they cannot shake the love of God. Did you know, I've had people that have left our church. I had one last week, had left the church some years ago, but they returned when sickness hit their home to be able to say, there's one thing I do know about this place is that you can get a prayer through to God. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to pray real quick. Father, I pray for every man and woman right now that are contemplating signing up. Touch them right now in the name of Jesus. It's for seven weeks, seven Sundays that I'll preach. Seven Sundays or seven weeks thereafter. Open your home for 90 minutes. Take that deeper. You will deliver more in life groups than I will on Sunday right here inspired by this, but the life groups is going to give them something they cannot get here. I cannot personally engage with everybody. This is impossible. But I want to ask you, are you willing to be a part? God has compelled me to double our life groups. And I'm not saying it'll happen in this semester, but I've been urged by the Lord to, to do more, to, 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 to put an emphasis upon what I believe is working. So I'm asking you. <laughs> so you can write on that hey card, Pastor, I'm in. I'm willing. Something to let me know. You'll open your eyes right now. And, and here's the deal. You might write on that card and say, hey, I'm just in for the, at least for, I'll come tomorrow night just to find out. I, I don't know if I'm showing up in until I hear what goes down tomorrow night, but I'll come tomorrow and listen. That, that's who I'm looking for right now. Just, hey, I'll come tomorrow and listen. 6.30 tomorrow night right here. So now, it's simple as this. A host is somebody who basically has their heart open for people. They have their home open. Uh, they, they have, they, they serve snacks. That's all it is. It's, you don't have to provide the snacks. That, that can be... Uh, a group effort. We always make sure that that's never an issue. We just love to eat. And then turn on DVD. It's real simple. So I want to ask you to write on that hey card. Pastor, I'm in. If you're going to come tomorrow night just for training. Myself, Pastor Ken, Pastor Josh will be here tomorrow night right here. God's going to do something. Listen, in our transformed series, starting February 19th, we're going to be transformed. Our lives. See, because how many of you believe that you ought to, it ought to be more than just goosebumps on Sunday. You, you ought to leave here with more than just a feeling. If it's not just, I mean, if it's only just a feeling, feelings go away and that's it and then there's nothing's changed. But I want to be transformed. There it is. Spiritually, physically, mentally. These are the messages. We're going to be transformed emotionally. Boy, some of us need to be transformed emotionally. We're going to be transformed relationally. Some of you need to be healed in your relations. Vocationally, financially, mentally. I mean, it just goes on and on. So listen, if you don't have a hay card in your seat, would you just raise your hand real quick if you want one? If you don't have one, if you want one, raise your hand. The ushers are ready to serve you. 
Outside of that, please take that ink pen. And if you feel compelled enough to say, Pastor, I'm in, and I'll be here tomorrow night to see what the next level is, or at least what's being asked of me to do, I promise you it's simple. If you'll write on that, as I get out of sing something with me, I want you to do me a favor and bring that card to these buckets. There's a bucket right here to the left of that speaker, to the right of this speaker. As he sings that right now, and all you're saying is, Pastor, I'll be here tomorrow night. 